Amen. So we finished our series before I went on vacation. Uh, I finished a series called Unhindered, and we're getting into the end of summer, and, and the kids are going back to school, and, and fall will soon be here, and of course Christmas and December and all of that has its own uh, activities, and, and we'll be doing some special things the entire month of December. But I'm about to begin a new series that I'm t- titling Warning Signs. But I'm not there yet. I have a two-part sermon that I'm going to preach part this morning and part next Sunday, as long as the Lord allows me to. And it's going to be concentrated out of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you've got your uh, Bibles and you've got your iPad fired up or your phone, uh, it's a pretty lengthy uh, piece of Scripture, and I'll be reading it both this week and next week. And one of the reasons that I'm preaching this sermon is because we came out of unhindered, and I pointed out a lot of things that keep us from being effective in our prayer walk, and are effective as far as believing with great faith, and we we pointed out a lot of discrepancies that we have. Beginning with this sermon, and into warning signs, I'm going to start talking about you specifically. We're going to dive deep in the next couple of months, into some discrepancies in, your, in yourself. A lot of what we don't have from God, we can't keep blaming on the devil. We, we have to take responsibility for our own misguided ideas, the things we are hungry for, the things we are thirsty for, and where we have actually put our passion. That's what I'm going to talk about for the next two weeks. Uh, I I can tell you're excited uh, by the sound of the groans that I hear coming from you. This morning's message is part one of a sermon that I'm calling Building Maintenance. Now, I know uh, better now than I ever have in my life how much maintenance a building takes the larger the building gets. Uh, Okay, so when we were out at 47, there was a certain amount of maintenance that it took to maintain that building. Now that we're here, I constantly walk around making notes. There's a paint chip over here. There's a rug missing from this place. There's a toilet that won't quit flushing over here. There's always, as a matter of fact, that just happened yesterday, and I've got the toilet shut off downstairs in the women's bathroom. I've got a plumber coming to take care of that tomorrow. There's always doors that need adjusted. There's always spots in the carpet. There's always things that need maintained. The bigger the building is, the more maintenance is required to keep that thing in good order. Somebody say amen. Part of the reason we were able to buy this building was because the congregation got too small to properly maintain such a large building. And they had run out of energy, quite frankly, to keep going. So when we got the building, there was a lot that needed done because the longer you neglect a building, the more maintenance is required to get it back up to standard. And some of us have been coming to church for years. But we haven't been maintained. Our maintenance schedule has been a little bit negligent. Can I just say it that way? So I'm going to talk to you this morning out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's where I'm going to begin. And I'm also going to be here next week as well, beginning with verse 1. Please pay attention to how Paul addresses these people. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, 
I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Stop right there. Paul used to be the pastor of this church. He planted this church. He has since moved on and planted other churches, and he's writing back in response to them because they had written a letter to him asking him some questions. This is what he's addressing. He said, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. You think I'm mean. You still aren't ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another. Quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for they are God for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. Now pay attention to this phrase. You are God's building. You are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. That is a preacher who has confidence in his sermons. He said, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. Pay attention to that phrase. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, or wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. Hear me, but like somebody barely escaping through the walls of flame. I'll just lay this microphone down and have y'all go pray and fast for a whole week over that phrase right there. He said, you'll be saved, but when you get to heaven, it's going to be like you ran through the fire to get there. Is that really the way we want to get to heaven? I mean, is that, do we want to go limping in and say, God, thank God I barely made it. That's what he's talking about. He said, some of you are going to get there, but you're going to barely get there. I mean, you are going to come in with the smell of smoke on you because you pass through the fire. Do you get the imagery he's using here? He said, you'll be saved, but is that the Christian experience that you want to live to get there? And here in verse 16, he says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? So he called us a building, and now he's calling us a temple. And that the Spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. 
Wow, that was a lot. I could have called these messages a lot of different titles. I, I decided and settled on building maintenance. But don't think for a minute that I didn't have some other options kicking around in my sarcastic mind. At one time, I thought about the ponderings of a frustrated pastor. I even thought about going old school and doing it like Popeye. This pastor's had all he can stands and he can't stands no more. But the truth is, I've been a little bit obsessed lately with what I call Paul's angry letters. Galatians is, is mostly considered to be Paul's first letter. Of all the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, Galatians is largely considered to be his first one. 1 Corinthians, which is where we took our text from, is considered to be his fourth one. In other words, he was young, he was brash, he wasn't holding back. When he wrote these letters, I call them his angry letters. He starts out the book of Galatians by saying, You foolish Galatians, how have you been so bewitched so easily? So, so he's, he's an angry pastor because he's wanting to know why I had the church running good when I left. What happened to you people? This is the question he's asking. Listen to what Paul says in our text. He said, as long as you've been walking with God, you should be better than this by now. I only got one amen in the whole building. 200 souls in here, and everybody else has got uh, eyes like a deer caught in a headlight. And, uh, one brother said, amen. Paul said, you should be better at this Christian thing by now. And he starts out, notice, he starts out calling them brothers and sisters. He also said they had the seed of Jesus Christ. In other words, these are Christian folk. These are church folk. Okay? But he says next, even though you're saved, you're not acting like it. He said, I couldn't even talk to you like spiritual people. I couldn't treat you like saved people because you act just like the world. And it's quiet in here, but I didn't say it. This is Paul. Take it up with him if you make it to heaven. Why did Paul say this? Because of the way they were acting because of the way they were living. He says, I can't tell the difference between you and the world. You have the seed of Christ in you, but you are following after your sinful nature. And he said, people who have been saved shouldn't be consumed with sinful natures. And then he starts describing them as buildings of God. And he tells them that I know you have a good foundation because I'm the one that put it in. So the foundation ain't the problem. The foundation was laid by an expert. I didn't say that about Paul. He said it about himself. He said, you had an expert foundation because the foundation is good because the foundation is Jesus. So in other words, he said, you started out on the right path and you started out with the right stuff. So what happened to you that made you act so crazy? You got jealousy and quarreling. You're fighting with each other. You're acting just like the world. And can we just be honest for a minute because I know you're quiet. But can we be honest and say, I can see that. 2,000 years later, and the church really hasn't changed that much. 
For all the hubba-baloo that goes on around the altar and all the shouting and people falling out in the spirit and all the tongue talking that we do and all that stuff, it's all fine and dandy. It's got its place. But can't we, can't we just be honest for a minute and say, I, I can see that. I, I, I can see that the world and the church really don't look a whole lot different a lot of times. That there's a, there's a whole lot of them in us and not as much of us in them. And, and, and the problem is this. He said, your foundation is good. But the reason you are acting like the world is because of what is being built on top of the foundation. Look what he said. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. Anyone who builds on that foundation can use a whole lot of stuff. Gold, silver, jewels, that sounds good. That sounds profitable. That sounds like stuff you should be using to build. But he also said you can also use wood, hay, or straw. Now, I have built a lot of things. I'm not an expert builder. But I did read The Three Little Pigs when I was a kid. And, and I know that by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin, he was able to blow the house down because it was made out of hay and straw. Somebody say amen. Uh, so, so hay and straw is not a good thing to be building on top of a good foundation. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. How many of you want to receive a reward from heaven? I mean, I want to go to heaven, but I... Listen, listen, maybe I'm talking to the wrong folks here because I don't want to just be saved. I want my master to be proud of the way I represented him. I know I'm saved because Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. But I don't want to just show up and say, I'm glad I'm here. I'm whew, glad I made it. I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want him to be proud of how I represent him. And that's what Paul is fussing at them here about. He said, the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. So it's not about salvation, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So listen to me. As you sit here in this room, you are building something. You have a good foundation. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a good foundation. But as we sit here right now, you're building. You're building on top of the foundation, which is Christ. And if you're saved, you're always saved. It's not about salvation. But he says you can be saved and suffer loss. And maybe I'm in the wrong room, or maybe I'm not set in the right atmosphere, but that's not okay with me for me. I don't want to suffer loss. I don't want to exist for Christ. I want to thrive for Him. I want devils to not be comfortable in my presence. I want sin to be eradicated, not just out of my life, but out of my children's lives and my grandchildren's lives. And I want to speak with authority. I want to have faith that moves mountains. I, I want to thrive for Him. I don't want to keep falling back into the same patterns. I don't want to have the same mindsets. I, I want to be different. Somebody say amen if you agree with this preacher this morning. He said you can suffer great 
loss, and that's not okay with me. And Paul, Paul makes it plain why this is important. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Now, just like any other building, the minute renovation or building is finished, that's the best that building is ever going to be. You can build a brand new house, and the day you move into it, that's the nicest that house will ever be. Because from that day forward, there's going to get spots in the carpet. The roof is going to be another day older. There's going to be dust on ledges everywhere. Somebody say amen. There's going to be chair marks on the wall. The day you move in is the nicest that building will ever be. It's the same way when we renovated this church. I'm walking around now, and I'm thinking, yep, that costs $15,000, and there's spots in it. And there's, 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 there's paint missing over here, and there's a, a door that doesn't shut right over there. And I'm constantly thinking about the maintenance of the building because the day we moved in, everything was fresh. It smelled fresh. It looked clean. Now there's dust accumulating, and there's things being broken, and there's stuff in the nursery that needs to be thrown away that was brand new when we got here three years ago. It's called wear and, uh-huh, and that's what happens to you too. When you first give your heart to the Lord, you got a good foundation. And you are a new, what? A new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become. And that day, that victory day, that day when Christ snatches you from death and brings you into light and takes you from hell and brings you into his light, that day, that's as good as you'll ever be. You're fresh as a daisy. And then you start building on that foundation. And you keep coming to church and you get doctrine and you get theology and you learn how to pray and you learn about fellowship. And all those things are positive, but can I tell you that that's not all you're building. You're also building attitudes and opinions. You're building sinful desires you're building things that replace your passion for Christ because now you're passionate about a career move or you're passionate about somebody because you're lonely. Can I get an amen from anybody? Some of the stuff that you build with because the longer the building exists, the more wear and happens. So some of you, don't look at your neighbor, don't look at your neighbor, don't look at your neighbor, but some of you are a little more worn than others. Don't look at your neighbor. Keep your eyes up here. But the point Paul is making is this. You no longer have to go to a holy temple made by man to worship God. Because when you become a child of God, you become the walking, talking, dwelling place of the Most High God. He said this Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are now the temple of God. So my first point that I want to share with you this morning is so if we are the temples of God, then we should be able to look at the original plan that God had and find out how a temple is supposed to operate. Mm -hmm. so, so here's the thing. We're going to go back, and I'm not going to give you all the scripture references. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to keep this very simple. I've done a lot of studying for a lot of years about the Old Testament temple, about the Old Testament tabernacle. I've read a lot of books. I've made a lot of notes through the years. I've preached a lot of sermons, taught a lot of classes. I'm going to give you 
there are at least eight things between this week and next week. There are at least eight things that we are going to discover that the priest had to do to maintain a proper temple. Because you are the temple. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you he's talking to. Uh huh. I need you to get verbal because some of y'all falling asleep on me already. That's you. You are the temple. Look at your other neighbor and say, that's you too. Uh huh. So, so, so you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, okay? And God gave instructions to the priest about things that needed to be done regularly to maintain a proper temple. Because if you don't stay ahead of maintenance, you're always running behind it. If you don't replace the roof before it leaks, now you don't just have a roof to replace. How many of you know? Now you've got drywall to fix and you've got insulation to tear out and, and you've got all kinds, you've got maybe boards that are rotted. But if you put the roof on before it leaks, then you, you've properly maintained your property. Some people don't even understand how important uh, maintenance is. Things like keeping gutters cleaned out can save you thousands of dollars just by being properly maintained. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about for the next two weeks, how to keep this temple in proper working order, okay? So eight priestly practices to maintain. The first thing is the first thing. Isn't that something? It, was that too deep for you? The first thing is the first thing. Because every morning, the priest had to open the gates. Now, I'm going to talk to you about this because the gates, and I probably should have put this in the notes so you would write it down. Those of you that are taking notes, be sure and write it down. Opening the gates is always done from the inside. I thought I might get an amen right there. See, there were two gates. One was the eastern gate, which led to the city. The other gate that was opened every morning was the one to the inner court of the temple. That gate was so large that scholars believe it took as many as 20 full-grown men to open that gate every morning. This is exactly the spot where if you go back to Genesis and you read about Jacob who had a dream and he, was, he made a bed or his pillow was, was rocks and he had a dream of angels coming out of heaven and going back to heaven and coming out of heaven. They believed in this day that that was the spot where those angels were coming back from heaven and going back. And, and that was where God's presence was. Pay attention, I'm taking you somewhere. They believed that when they opened the gate every morning, it signified that the gates of heaven was open to that spot. So I want you to pay attention because you are the temple. Yes? You are the temple, yes? And your temple has gates. You have an eye gate. You've got an ear gate. You've got a nose gate, a mouth gate, and... What you've been feeling lately? Who you been? Never mind. Back when I was a kid, I remember the GE telephone had a theme, let your fingers do the walking. Some of you need to quit that. Stop it. You should be, that's what Paul was talking about. He said, you should be farther along than this. You're still acting like the world. 
See, in my body, I have several temples in, or in, in several gates, and you have several gates. And the point is, listen, the gates are open from the inside. That means you control the gates. Uh-huh. That means the gates were there for two purposes. The first purpose of a gate is to keep stuff you don't want out. The next purpose is to keep the blessings of God in. You control the gates. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand because I'm as guilty as you are, so I'll just testify for the both of us. I have been guilty of saying dumb stuff like, they make me so mad. How do they make me anything? They didn't give me the breath in my lungs. They didn't give me the blood in my veins. They didn't give me my purpose. They didn't speak life into me. Why am I allowing, why am I allowing them to make me anything? They're not my maker. In order for them to make me jealous, make me angry, make me quarrelsome, I have to open my gate and let their foolishness penetrate. It's not their fault. I opened the gate. I got myself into this. So based on this pattern, the priest opened the gates. This was the first thing. The first thing is the first thing. Based on this pattern, the first thing we do each day, before you get out of bed and for heaven's sake, before you get on social media, you decide when to open your gates. The first thing, before you get out of bed, before you start interacting, before you start answering emails, before you start answering text messages from people you work with, before you get all of that, you control what goes in and out of your gates. I thought I might get an amen right there. Y'all are mad at me already. This is going to be a long two weeks. Listen, you control what comes in and what goes out. You have to deal with people, but you don't have to let what they give you penetrate and come in your gates. The second thing that you have to do is remove the ashes from the brass altar. So there was a fire that burned always on the altar. There were actually three fires. There was the greater fire, the lesser fire, and the smaller fire. Here's why there was three fires. The greater fire was the one that they used to burn sacrifices. If that fire ever went out, they would use the smaller fire to reignite the greater fire. D does that make sense? So in the morning, after the gates were open, the priest would go into the altar, and he would take off the altar the ashes from yesterday's sacrifice. Say that with me, yesterday. Do you... Have you lived enough days to know that yesterday is not today? So yesterday's sacrifice left a mess. Just to get through yesterday left a mess for me to clean up. And the ashes had to be removed from the altar, they would take it outside and they would dump the ashes in the Kidron Brook, which would wash those ashes into the Kidron Valley and take it away from the temple. Water would carry the ashes away. One part of that brook carried the ashes to the Dead Sea. 
The reason that they did this in that order was because the sacrifices was for sin. And have anybody read the, the book that says when he takes away your sin, he removes them and throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. He takes them as far as the east is from the west. So when you get up in the morning, you need to go through the process that we call renewing the mind. You need to get up every day and you need to decide before your day starts. And listen, I am guilty of not doing this. And I have to start. Because this can't be done in the middle of the day. Because if you wait till the middle of the day to get your mind fixed on Jesus, you won't get there. Because there's going to be 125,000 things that's going to bombard you before you get a chance to fix your mind on Jesus. And then you're going to be playing catch up all day long. You need to get up every day and say, Lord, let me have my mind fixed on you today. Let me before this day even starts to have you as my focus because if I can get yesterday behind me listen this is when you have to decide yesterday is gone can I can I get an amen from anybody that means what I cared about yesterday is gone. The anxiety I felt yesterday is gone. The troubles I went through yesterday is gone. That's what Paul meant when he said, i got to forget the things which are behind and press forward to the mark of the prize. My problems of yesterday should not show up and contaminate today. This is where every day I have to get up and say, God, you invited me into another day. Thank you, Jesus. And because you invited me into today, I don't want to let yesterday ruin what today's purpose is. So this is, this is what you have to do. It doesn't matter how big of a mess you faced yesterday. It doesn't matter what you went through yesterday. We learned a little song when we were kids. Remember, this is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will re. I will re and be, uh huh, not be still mad in it. <laughs> but that's what some of us do. We wake up still mad about what we went to bed mad about last night. Try it sometime. You can sing and pray and worship through every activity. What? Listen, me and my wife have very different routines when we get ready to go somewhere. My routine takes about 27 seconds. My wife has to get up early and takes her all the way up to the time she's walking out the door. She checks her outfit nine times. She asks me if it looks good. I say yes, and then she goes and changes. And, and, and if she doesn't change her shoes, and if she changes her shoes, well, now this top doesn't match, and i got to go match. Why'd you ask me? Because you've asked me about four different outfits now. And, and, and here's the thing. You can get right with God through that whole process. You... You, you, you can be setting the tone for your day while you're in the shower. You can be singing worship songs while you are shaving, while you are plucking your eyebrows, whatever it is you ladies do in there, I don't know, I don't pretend to get it. But whatever it is while you're doing it, listen, you can praise God through every step of the process. Maybe not brushing your teeth. Well, some of y'all can because you can take your teeth out and brush it out here. Try it sometime. The third thing that the priest did, and this is going to be very important.
They poured incense on the altar. Mm -hmm. They would select a priest who would burn incense on the altar. Now, Exodus chapter 30, verses 7 and 8 said that they did this in the morning and in the evening. So I'm going to ask you a question. When did they burn incense? In the morning and in the evening. When did they do it? In the morning and in the evening. So while he was carrying the incense to the altar, it was placed in a silver cup. Are you, are you still with me? It was placed in a silver cup, and on top of that silver cup was a silver lid. And as the priest was carrying the incense toward God's presence, this is so important for you to grab. I'm talking about your temple here. As he was approaching God's presence, he had his incense in a cup, and on top of the cup, he had a lid. And as he was approaching God's presence, he would strike the top of the cup and make noise. What the priest was doing was he was announcing his presence into God's presence. I just had a conversation this morning about how this generation of kids don't have no manners. I remember when I was a child, you walked into a room with adults, you greeted the adults, and you announced yourself, especially if you came to their house. I got kids traipsing in and out of my house, act like I don't live there. I don't understand this generation of children. I can go murderous and ask God to forgive me later. I started studying about the temple years later, and I found out when the priests came into God's presence, they didn't just show up and say, hey, God, I'm here. They announced themselves on the way to God's presence. They did not want to take for granted that they were just going to walk in to God's presence. They made noise to let God know they were coming. Now, there are people in this room that will get very nervous about the volume of your noise. Hello. Some of you will get up and shout, clap your hands, dance in the aisles, and there are other people sitting on the same row with you that when you start making that kind of noise, they get very nervous. But can I tell you this morning that if you get nervous by the volume of somebody else's praise, the way they get up, the way they clap their hands, the way they rejoice, honey, you don't know it, but that's holy praise. That's holy noise. And we're just letting God know that we are coming into His presence. So let me help you. Through the years, that noise has changed a lot. Through the years, the noise that the church made has changed a lot. People of God have always made noise to announce that they were coming into God's presence. As a matter of fact, in ancient times, in the early church, it sounded like this.
Anybody know that song? feeling especially spiritual now? like this on Sunday. This was the sound they made. This is worship. This is making noise, letting God know they're coming into his presence. They would sing chants, usually in Latin. Now what happened during the Protestant Reformation is before the Reformation, that sound was largely made by professional musicians. They would hire musicians to come to church on Sunday and sing, and the people would be the audience. After the Reformation, Martin Luther decided we should not be the audience, he should be the audience. So the Reformation gave worship back to the people. And it included something that you and I are more familiar with called congregational singing. Now through the years, the sound changed. Look at your neighbor and say, the sound changed. Okay, now look at your other neighbor and say, thank God. Because we wouldn't want to do that on Sundays. Okay, so the sound changed. As a matter of fact, here's how it changed. They began to change the sound that they made, and they made it more formal because they had to do it together. The congregation is singing together. So something called hymns were born, and they were sung with choruses and verses. You may have heard it sound like this. church announced to God we're coming into your presence this is the incense of my temple that I'm laying on the altar that's getting his attention I'm not coming empty handed into his presence I'm announcing myself it's called worship now over time the sounds changed even more and something called praise and worship songs were adopted. And they sound 
more like this. the same task it's reaching the same God because the audience was never you the audience was always him and now today's modern era we got sounds of all kinds that makes praise to God and helps reach people that are looking for a place to find Hope. That church is a place to find hope. Part of that church. Yeah. Throwing caution to the wind as he speaks on the mic. Not here to be a friend, but to deliver what's right. Not about your feelings, gonna bruise some eagles tonight. Speaking mad truth, winning every battle we fight. Got some on-point sermons and some adequate services. Got some on-fire worship and it proves to be worth it. Can't complain about nothing. Human beings aren't perfect and as the world likes to fight us, we just laugh and continue to serve them. Every time we hear the message, we gotta just worship. No matter how it sounds in his eyes, it's perfect. We lift him up in a way that's unusual. We might worship him way different than you do. Like going to the doctors with some pain and hurt. Every time you hear it, we're just breaking the curse. We're dead people walking, man, just bring on a hearse. This isn't like work when you're part of that church. Now, there's always been 
the last generation don't appreciate what this generation's noise sounds like. You have to understand, Amazing Grace started out as a poem. It was written as a poem. It was read in church as a poem. The moment they took it, added verses to it, and put music to it, the church rejected it because they said it sounded like music that was played at the tavern. And they wouldn't allow amazing grace to come into the church. So there's always been a problem with the last generation's appreciation of this generation's noise. Because there's always going to be somebody critical of the way you make noise. But the thing is, it's not their incense. It's your incense and it's to your... Psalm says, let my prayer come up before you as incense. The incense also represents our prayers going up. In other words, the incense was put on the altar when? Every morning and every evening. So to keep your temple in proper work and order, you need to start your day with prayer and praise, and your day will go better. You need to end your day with prayer and praise, and you will sleep better. Keeping a proper temple. Last but not least, number four, they had to put oil in the menorah. I got a picture of a menorah in case you don't know what a menorah is. It's a seven-branch candlestick, and it had to have oil in it. Ever since the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, people have been trying to get answers from God. The Old Testament, the priests would use different uh, methods to get uh, answers from God. They had this thing called the Urim and the Thummim. And it, we're not exactly sure what they were. They, they may have been like dice. And he would, he, would, he would put them on a table and he would expect God to speak through them. But the priest also wore a breastplate that had 12 jewels on it. And that, each jewel represented one of the tribes of Israel. And... and, and uh, Israel's history tells us that sometimes the priest would ask God about which tribe he wanted to speak to and, and that jewel would illuminate or th that jewel would, would have some kind of a radiance to it and he would know that I'm supposed to go speak to, 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 to Zerubbabel and uh, I'm, I'm, supposed to go speak, I'm supposed to go speak to Judah. And, and, and we've always been trying to get answers from God and it's not easy when God is behind a veil. In the temple, the menorah was lit. But in order for the way to be seen to God's presence, there had to be oil in the menorah. But not only did it have to be oil, it had to be fresh oil. One of the reasons that we're not as on fire for God as we need to be is because we've got stale oil or no oil at all. I'm not, I'm not trying to be too hard on you, although Paul was. But you really can't be passionate about everything. Have you realized that when you're passionate about everything, you're pa really passionate about nothing? Because you're very diluted with your passion. I want to be passionate about working out. I want to be passionate about working 70 hours a week. And I want to be passionate about getting eight hours of sleep a night. And I want to be passionate about having three full, uh, four-course meals and meal prepping. And I, and I want to, and, 
you pretty soon realize you need about 92 hours in every day to be passionate about it all. There's just not enough time and you don't have enough energy. In order for you to be passionate about one thing, that means you have to be dispassionate about a multitude of others. And when you are passionate about everything except God, honey, you're out of oil. And when you're out of oil, according to this menorah, you're also out of light. You can't see your way to God. You're wondering why He's not speaking to you. You're wondering why He isn't illuminated. The light isn't on. God, I've been asking for answers for a long time. Yeah, but what about the rest of the time? Are you chasing things in the world constantly and only coming to God when you need something? Or are you refilling with fresh oil, constantly coming back and reimagining what God means in your life and becoming more passionate because I, the previous anointing that you had was good for the battles that you have been through, but honey, you're going to need fresh anointing for what you are facing right now. You need new oil. You, you need to know that, that, that David was anointed three times. Do you know that? You don't get anointed once and call it quits. That, that's not the way this works. David got anointed first by Samuel to say he was going to be king. Then when they made him king of the southern kingdom, they anointed him with oil. Then when the king was, kingdom was put back together and they made him king over the northern kingdom, he was anointed again. Why? Because every new battle, every new assignment, every new victory is going to take a fresh anointing. And you can't keep running on last month's last year's anointing. I know you came to the altar before. I know you got hands laid on you before. I know you prayed before. But honey, you need fresh oil. You need to come back over and over. And as the battle wages on, you need to tune into God more and more and more and more. We have run ourselves dry on oil, chasing the world and then wondering why our light has went out. When the light was out, they could not get revelation from God. God would not allow them to come into His presence without the oil being applied. The Lord is my my what? He's a shepherd. That makes me. That wasn't a trick question. She got it. If the Lord is my shepherd, I am his sheep. So, let me tell you what the anointing oil does for the sheep. When sheep are in a pasture, by the way, when he calls us sheep, it was not a compliment. Sheep aren't the smartest of the mammals that God breathed life in. When sheep are in the field, they are constantly banging their head against rocks and against each other and hurting and damaging and injuring themselves, and they would receive cuts on their head. And I don't know if you spend any time around the farm. I did growing up. And anytime there's a wound of any kind, the first thing that shows up are flies. 
And that sheep would have wounds on its head and the flies would lay eggs in those wounds. And you know what happens when fly eggs hatch. And it only takes a little while for that to happen. And that sheep would become frustrated because they don't have hands like we do. And that itching and burning and moving around would happen on their head. And they would begin to hurt themselves and injure themselves even more by banging their head against rocks and cliffs and other things, trying to get that to stop. They were frustrated because they were injured. They were wounded. And flies had laid eggs on their head and it frustrated them even more I don't know if you know that one of the names of your enemy is Beelzebub which translated means Lord of the flies and your enemy is constantly trying to lay eggs in your head because you get frustrated and you don't know how to handle life and the frustrations that come along with relationships and the frustrations that come along with career challenges and the frustrations that come along with a government that's oppressing things and the frustrations that comes along with getting older and your body starts breaking down and you get frustrated and yes you love the Lord but you are in your mind you feel wounded and you feel frustrated and the longer the wounds are left untreated the enemy keeps laying its eggs and becoming and making your mind twisted and more frustrated and more tormented does this resonate with anybody yes you love the Lord yes you're his sheep but you're frustrated and frustrated sheep hurt themselves more because they don't know how to find healing the Lord is my the shepherd would find his wounded sheep and take anointing oil and smear it on the forehead and the nose up into the nostrils of the sheep because something about the anointing oil won't allow the flies to land. There's something in the anointing oil that drives the flies away. So when you come to the house of God, you're not just here to hear me give you a motivational speech. You're here to get the anointing placed on your mind because you're frustrated about something and you're fighting with yourself about something and it's not always the devil's fault you have wounded yourself and other things have wounded you and you are damaged and you're looking for answers and you don't know how to find them and you're just getting more and more frustrated well honey I don't have all the answers but I know a guy and he's got the anointing and when the anointing gets applied to your mind it heals up the wounds and it gives you the victory and it breaks you out of the system that you've been locked in for the entirety of your life. There's something about the anointing that repels the enemy's advances. And that's what Paul meant when he said, I know I'm saved, but I don't always act like I am. I got to get this mind right. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Can you play for me? Does, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Paul said, this thing's not about me being saved or not. I know I'm, he's my shepherd. I'm, I'm his sheep. I, I said yes, but I don't always act right. 
I don't always do right. I don't always live right. And the stuff I want to do, I don't do. And the stuff I said I quit doing, that's the stuff I do. I don't even like myself a lot of the times. And I get wounded. I don't have no way to fight. I don't have the answers. God help me. God help me. God help me. And then you come to church on Sunday. And he speaks exactly to your situation. You know what I'm talking about. You come to church on Sunday and you didn't tell nobody how you were feeling. You didn't, you didn't tell. And he speaks exactly to you. And then because your mind is so twisted, you start thinking, well, that can't be for me. And you know good and well it's for you. Because it, it's applicable to exactly where you are and exactly what you're going through. And then he will still have your mind so wounded that you won't come to the altar for prayer. But honey, this is where you get the anointing. This is where you get the balm applied that's going to repel the enemy's ability to cause your wounds to get worse. So I'm not going to play this thing out. I've preached long enough. i got a whole other message for this message. If you need the anointing, the anointing that breaks the yoke, the anointing that sets the captive free, listen to me. If you are in a battle and you are worn out, you are frustrated, and you simply do not have the answers, get up to this altar. And here, listen, hear me. Here's why you need to come to this altar, because we got a prayer team that's about to come pray for you. And this is why you need to be plugged into the local church. This is why you need to get into life groups. This is why you need to be part of what's going on around here. Because you need other people to help get you anointed. So people are coming from all over and the prayer team's going to come pray for them. Don't wait. Don't wait. You know good and well the Lord spoke to you. You've been frustrated. But today can be your day of victory. I've been in a battle a long time, Pastor. I don't know. Yeah, I know. You, your wounds are showing. Let's get the anointing in there. Let's get the anointing oil. God, fix their minds on you. Let them see nothing right now but your radiant beauty. Let them right now not be able to see their problems. Let them not be able to see the enemy's advances. Let them not be able to see the lies that are being spoken over their life. But God, right now, open them up to where they can only see your radiant beauty. Let your light pierce through the darkness right now. Allow them, oh God, to see your beauty. Allow them to see your love for them, the power that sets the captive free. Enable them today, God to not leave here until they have witnessed your glory. Not on others, not in others, but for themselves. Let them right now experience you in a fresh, new way. We need the oil, God. We need the oil poured into our wounds so we can be healed, so we can be whole. All these frustrated people, shandera, Needing victory in this house.